Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Chris Duggan is the Joint Managing Director of Brighton Duggan Property Group, strata and facilities management professionals operating in most Australian capital cities. With more than eight years' experience in property development with ASX-listed property development and funds management companies, Chris joined Brighton Duggan in 2008 and now oversees all of Brighton Duggan's strategy and national network, as well as new business opportunities, helping to build its presence and reputation in the marketplace. Chris is passionate about customer satisfaction and looking after the needs of existing clients. Chris has been a director on the board of SCA New South Wales since 2010 and was Senior Vice President of SCA New South Wales from 2012 to 2013. In addition, he sits on the Griffith University Strata and Community Title Conference Committee, UDIA New South Wales Strata Committee, and is also a presenter at numerous industry events and conventions. He holds a Bachelor of Land Economics from UTS. Chris's expertise is in complex scheme consulting and establishment, having directly overseen the establishment of Australia's most complex strata and community schemes, as well as building management committees. Today, I am delighted to welcome Chris Duggan of Brighton Duggan. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Amanda. Delighted to be here and hello to your audience around Australia. We are very lucky to have you here today with all of those credentials. Your expertise clearly is in the management of complex schemes. And of course, that's what we're here to talk about today. I'll start by asking you, Chris, can you tell us what you mean when we say complex strata or complex community schemes and why are they different to other schemes? Sure. So the use of complex in the context that I'm talking about is really around the complexity of titling, multi-member nature, layered titles, mixed use, large scale, multi-stage, iconic sites that have unique constraints. So many buildings or schemes may have complexities within their operation, and that could be complexity around the way it operates and governance and the like, but I'm talking more about the structure initially of how the schemes are set up and what ongoing issues that that raises from a liability perspective and from a long-term legacy perspective and how owners can actually interface with those long-term and get the best out of living in a complex scheme. Mm. And with more and more developments, the increase in strata living, we're seeing, I think, more and more of these schemes, particularly in Sydney and metropolitan areas. And it's something that I'm seeing strata managers have to grapple with and really can't be up to speed quite quickly on how to manage these schemes Mm. in a way that they might not be managing uh, other, call it less complex schemes. That's right. I think that upskilling is occurring very quickly. Most new sites delivered, particularly in Sydney more recently, are on more challenging land parcels. Those more Mm -hmm. challenging land parcels means that the complexities that have been overlaid by the developer or the government are increasing. And they're being handed on, obviously, to the owners who ultimately are the custodians of those sites and the managers who then have to interpret and work with the owners on the ongoing management side. I think that upskilling as well, Amanda, applies equally to the residents living in the communities. Those owners are often the ones unwillingly who inherit some of those complexities and trying to figure your way through that minefield can be very difficult. Working with a manager who is also feeling themselves out can be equally challenging. So Mm. there's a huge body of work to be done across the industry in terms of upskilling the sector about how to deal with this evolving landscape of complexity. Yeah. 
And even just, you mentioned the owners having to struggle with this. And I find step one is often just getting your head around the terminology. We have strata schemes, we have community schemes, we have BMCs, we call them, which are building management committees. We have stratum parcels. Uh, And then, of course, we have our owners corporations, our body corporates, our executive committees. Wow, what a headache. And, And I think there can be a lot of nervousness if you're not familiar with the terminology then you don't feel like you can really be engaged in the community oh that's right i think it's a real hurdle to empowering owners to feel like they've actually got some ownership and also some participation and admittedly like with most things sometimes people like to create complexity where it doesn't exist and use some of that methodology and some of the terminology and and the complexity to, to keep owners a bit at arm's length so i think it's about breaking down and getting from base one and understanding of what it means to be a member of one of these multi-member schemes. Well, what does that mean? And once you actually present it in a really basic format around how it's a co-ownership structure with a statement or a tool or a mechanism that binds them all together, people understand it better. But it's, it's really a base-up approach in terms of educating owners and managers and the broader community. Yeah, okay. So let's get down to specifics. What do you do, Chris? How do you manage these complex schemes well? It all starts prior to completion. So I guess the challenge is that the statements, or if you put it in the context of a building management committee, the statements are set in place well before completion, but they in effect have an overriding governance structure that's in place them for perpetuity. Okay. Can I just stop you there? When you say statements, you're meaning literally the documents, the building, the strata management statement, which we call the SMS. There's another acronym for you. The strata management statement is the document that's put in place, as you say, before the building's even built for the setting out the rules for how this development is going to be managed. That's right. And it goes one step further because those statements include schedules and those schedules list, for example, shared services, shared facilities, and attached to those are allocations for how those costs are to be shared into the future, how works and decisions are be made around replacement, repair, upgrading of those particular facilities. So you can understand that unlike the Strata Schemes Management Act, which is a broader, I guess, set of tools that can change from time to time and you can actually challenge them around NCAT and other, other areas of the courts, a statement is fairly rigid. So getting it right up front is incredibly challenging because it needs to think about some of the circumstances that may occur 10, 20, 30 years into the future, which is something that I can say historically hasn't been done well, but we're now starting to see a very evolutionary statement or a set of documents or even a community management statement evolve that allows for a little bit more free thought and a little bit more of a consideration for what may happen down the track and what triggers that may actually put in place. Yes. And like you say, it is not as easy, and this has certainly been my experience from a legal perspective, it is not as easy to get in there and change things later when you're talking about building management committees with strata Mm. management statements. The community management statement is a little bit different because amending those bylaws that are in community management statements is a little bit similar Mm. to amending the bylaws in a strata scheme. But certainly strata management statements, when you've got building management committee members who all have to vote in favour of making amendments to those documents, it can be very hard down the track to change things like contributions to shared facilities and the schedules, as you say, that are attached to the statements. I agree completely. It's very important for developers and those who are assisting them at that startup stage to get this right. That's right. And it always comes back to an equity argument. And it's a difficult challenge. And it's unfortunately been played out through the courts in a very structured way, whereas it's caveat emptor. If you enter into that contract or buy a property where there is a statement in place, 
the courts have upheld that you're buying in willingly to whatever structure around the cost share allocation was in place at the time of registration. Mm. Now, whether that's fair or not is often the question that gets asked. And going back to how to structure these things better, it's about bringing on particularly the owners and the engaged owners who are going to be involved in the management of that scheme around how the statement operates, what it means for them, what changes they can make, and sometimes where to put their energy around how to work within the parameters of that. Oftentimes, people want to break down the walls of the statement and reset them, and they spend a lot of time and energy rather than working within the parameters of the statement and saying, okay, how do we get all the parties around a commonality and a common good? Okay, so there's some of the difficulties that we might see with these schemes being set up and how the courts are approaching changes to management statements. With your experience in actually managing these schemes day to day, Chris, what are some of the common problems that you might have seen and what's working in terms of helping these schemes just get through their day to day in an environment that's a little bit different? Yeah, sure. One of the most important things is just understanding, as we touched on earlier, understanding the way the schedules operate and how particular decisions are made within that framework. Adding to that, you've got what I consider the multiple manager syndrome that exists where you've got Uh potentially different entities managed by different managers. Very true. And that itself has been challenging and historically there's probably been more of a likelihood for managers to want to challenge the other manager around their interpretation rather than trying to celebrate how we can actually bring things together and work towards a common good for all the clients. Now in saying that there's been a distinct change in the marketplace I think in the past couple of years where there's been a realisation around the professionalism and working more collaboratively is certainly emerging as I think I guess a more established trend. The good part about that is it's a win in terms of where the owners are at. I think too often there has been a desire for one party to win and one party to lose in the way the statement operates and that inevitably leads to conflict on one side or at least one party feeling aggrieved with the process. So I think if you establish what you'd like to achieve, understand how you can achieve it within the document itself and whether that be within a CMS in terms of architectural guidelines or whether it's simply two adjoining strata schemes that don't have a statement but may have a common issue, it's about understanding, okay, well, what's going to make both parties feel happy with the outcome and how can you get each party there, perhaps compromising a bit on your own position in order to achieve a mutually beneficial outcome. Yes, and as you say, the the managers and where you do have sites that have a number of different entities with different managing agents, for the managers to understand that it is in the best interest of the community as a whole, they all get along and they're communicating with each other. And certainly I've seen situations where there's a great deal of money to be saved when everybody works together, especially when you're doing things like attempting to change statements and implement new bylaws and new rules, I guess, throughout the community. I've certainly been in engaged before on a broad basis by everybody in the community Mm. and they've all pitched in with the costs and I think that's great but it only works when all the managers if there are different managers are all on side and encouraging that. That's right and I think that's emerging as our market now profession evolves and we are still very much an evolutionary sector in terms of the complexity that's now been expected of us and the education around some of our peers in the marketplace but I think we're moving forward fairly progressively. We've got owners corporations who are far more willing to as you say collaborate and put a common good ahead of their own personal interest. That doesn't mean we still won't have the rogue owners who still want to push a particular agenda. But I think the role of the strata manager has evolved far more from simple administrator into someone who needs to partner with the owners and the owner needs to respect what value they can get out of using using the manager's skill for them 
decision rather than simply having them off as administrator to the side. Yes, and there are definitely experts, I find, in this field when it comes to strata managers. There are some strata managers who know this stuff. They know how to manage BMCs. They know how to manage community schemes. And there are other managers that unfortunately are still catching up. And that's not to say that they shouldn't be out learning and gaining that experience. But I think it's important for communities that are looking for a good manager to understand whether or not that manager has the experience managing a complex scheme. Because it's been a few occasions where I've seen strata managers who just, they don't know how the community titles law operates. And it is quite different to the strata schemes law. They don't understand what a BMC is and what the specific requirements. And that can really lead owners down very uncomfortable and unfortunately expensive paths. So that's some of my advice there to make sure that you do find out who these experts are, and Chris is certainly one of them, and get the right management to suit your scheme. Yeah, I'd concur there. Without suggesting that not all managers can upskill themselves, I think having relevant experience in similar schemes is going to greatly assist both the manager and in terms of their internal systems and processes. And it goes well beyond the manager itself, as in the strata manager allocated to the scheme, because often there's a very high focus around the financial management. Yes. Or as you mentioned before, even with the community around the process in terms of how each of the subsidiary schemes or the precincts or the neighbourhoods all fold up with regard to voting or with regard to approval. And if you get that wrong, oftentimes it's unpicked at the very last stage and you only realise that it's an abortive process once you've wasted a lot of time and effort. So it's again, there are plenty of managers out there who are skilled and there's plenty of managers emerging in terms of skilling themselves up. But like any sector, there's specialists. Some specialists in small buildings are far better utilised to dealing with the issues that arise there, which are probably less technical in nature and more personable or collaborative. And then some larger buildings, obviously, you need to have big scale and you also need to have the relevant experience in your systems and processes behind how you actually run these buildings. Yeah, I mean, there are so many intricacies in these complex schemes and where you raise there the issues with voting and where everything could possibly go wrong. You know, I mean, we could talk for days about the different aspects involved in community schemes and BMCs. And I know there will be a lot of listeners out there saying, I'm part of a BMC and I really want to know X, Y and Z. Please, we're not going to be able to cover it in our short episode, but do send us through our questions. And certainly with Chris's help, we can get those answered possibly in, in a later episode or in an article that we can put up on the site. So I know this is going to be a hot topic and I'd love to delve into all of that, but unfortunately not today. And on that, Amanda, one of the things that you learn is it's often you learn from very harsh experience and you have to often go through a process where you perhaps haven't got it quite right or you've had to refer back. And that's the best learning curve that anyone can go on. And most managers worth their medal have been through that. They've learned the hard way around how things can go wrong. And that's how you sharpen your knives and become better at doing it. But I guess the point to note here is that every scheme is unique and there will be challenges within your scheme that have overlaid with the complexity of the relationships in there and the tensions that exist. So sometimes it's simply not as easy as looking at a statement and saying, I'm going to do X or Y, Mm. because you've got to overlay all the other complexities that arise within a strata plan and come part and part with community living. Yeah. It's a great segue into my next question, which was going to be, Chris, can you share a story around how you've helped a a complex scheme deal with a a unique problem? Sure. Probably my most relevant story is around the establishment of the Barangaroo Precinct. Now, it's something that I personally consult on to lend lease as the developer for about three years prior to completion of the first stage, which was the commercial building that was, you can see, rising up out of the the foreshore down there. And obviously, that's a very iconic development in Sydney. It'll continue to dominate the harbour and it's got a lot of work to be done into the future in terms of latter stages. But going back to how we worked in with the developer, they were looking for a partner to work with them around a collaborative product that they saw as the evolution of the way statements would operate within Strata. So they looked at it with a hundred year viewpoint of how do we 
set up a document that they know was going to be rather rigid and obviously had very little aptitude to change once it was registered. So how do you set up flexibilities within a document that had to be registered with little flexibility for change so that it could be flexible around how each of the members wanted to operate into the future? So if you can imagine, it was a very iterative process of developing a document that actually had additional clauses included. And I think you'll find this particular boilerplate will go on to be more of the evolutionary document around how statements, particularly in the context of an SMS, so Strata Management Statement or BMC, Building Management Committee operate. And this one in particular drilled down into different vote allocations, different costs attached to each of the shared facilities, opt-in and opt-out and upscale opportunities, as well as attaching a vote per item based on your contribution. So to give you a really high level of overview there, it's a very complicated way of organising a vote structure. So you could imagine there are meetings within meetings depending on who contributes to certain elements of the shared facility. But in terms of an equity argument, we ran through a number of, I guess, examples of how those meetings would operate. And we best case that most people would walk away feeling that they were contributing the right amount. They were voting on things that were relevant to them. And they had the ability, if necessary, to opt in, opt out, or even upgrade that then they could contribute to specifically. So normally in a statement like that, it's usually one in all in and the dominant party or the majority vote typically drags everyone else along, which means there's a cost or some sort of liability attached to that decision. This allowed owners within reason, obviously, where there's a requirement or essential service that had to be shared across all of them that needs to be shared, but it allowed them to work more flexibly into the future to opt in or out of services and then pay as a user pays principle. Yeah, that's all really fascinating. And I've seen you present on this before, Chris, maybe it was at the Griffith conference. And I know most of the lawyers in the room were sort of rubbing their hands together saying, wow, we can't wait to see this one and see how it all works because it sounds like it it is quite unique and it's going to be really interesting once everybody's in those communities and living day to day, how those systems are put into practice and those rules and those documents are interpreted and applied and fingers crossed it all goes well and it can be used as this sample community for how we've been able to deal with what is otherwise a very complex setup Mm. down there at Barangaroo and do so in a way that has everybody living, I won't say harmoniously (laughs) because it's still a community living, but as harmoniously as possible in that really quite high density situation. That's right. I think the key there is, and we're seeing an emerging trend in balancing the conflict that exists in mixed-use developments. It's very common for retail to be included in residential development these days, and now we're seeing an overlay of retail, commercial, other uses in terms of cultural uses, and it's a real balancing act for how the residents, who ultimately the beneficiaries of all of that amenity, get the best value of working within that environment. And as we touched on earlier, most new sites involve a layer of complexity these days, a layer, an extra layer of titling that probably didn't exist in most part 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So it's about understanding that that's the evolutionary model of development in Australia, embracing that and best casing how you can actually put in place a document to deal with things. The one thing you can never manage for or never predict for is how people are going to interact within those environments. And I think if they all got along perfectly, neither of us would have a job, Amanda, forevermore. Very true. Okay, so we probably had some listeners here today, as I said earlier, who are part of BMCs or community title schemes, and they want to learn more about how this all works. What are some quick steps that you suggest that they can take, they can start today, some quick wins on the board to get more involved in their complex scheme? Sure. So most schemes have some overarching governance documents. So whether it's the community management statement, as you mentioned, or the strata management statement, just understand the basic parameters. By no means become an expert and pour over all the clauses because there's some generic clauses that exist in all those documents in any of around dispute resolution. Like, but just understand the base parameters of how they work. Understand the shared services, the shared facilities, the restricted community property, whatever it might be, so that you've got 
got a fair understanding of who's responsible for what. Because oftentimes we find that owners are assuming that their strata plan is responsible when it's actually the BMC or conversely the community. Yes. And it's just once you get that base understanding, then you've got to decide and you need to make a decision that you want to collaborate with the other members in your scheme, the other people in your owner's corporation, and most importantly with your strata manager. So whoever that manager is, assuming they have the experience that you touched on earlier, they need to be a partner in those arrangements, far more so than in a simpler scheme where you can in most parts get away with self-management and potentially use the manager as a, a more administrative or financial manager. Here, the manager needs to be front and center and you need to rely on them for good advice. Now, any good manager will then partner with a number of advisors themselves around interpreting the legal understandings, interpreting the financial implications. So we're seeing a broader set of skills being brought to how these schemes are run into the future. So the first step, understand basically who is what and how it actually operates and who has responsibility. And secondly, make an open decision to want to collaborate with those people. Now, that'll work in most cases. And if not, the one thing you can't do is change your statement easily, but you can change your partners sometimes and get in place a different manager who might be more engaged, more understanding, more experienced, or less conflicted in the mm. way. And getting out there and asking questions around those kinds of problems. Yes, we're having a problem with this. How do we solve that? I understand it's very hard to change the statement, but is there another way that we can deal with this problem? And as you say, your manager and the people who are assisting them are the best people to ask mm. because they've had that experience. One hopes they've had that experience in managing similar schemes and they can bring that to your scheme. And what you say there about understanding the role that each entity plays, I think that's really important because I come across a lot of owners who aren't on top of that. And I don't necessarily like to use the word hierarchy because it's not that one entity is more important than another, but there is this tree, I suppose, of responsibility when you're dealing with these complex schemes. And it's important to understand who's at the top of that tree and what do the branches of that tree look like? So we might have your community scheme and the executive committee of your community association at the top there. And then you've got your subsidiary bodies, we call them, which might be your strata schemes and others who are in the community who are then bound by the community management statement and sometimes bound by the decisions that the community association is making. And you might not be directly personally involved in voting on a motion that then makes that decision, but you are bound by it. So it's important to understand how that works. And I think a good manager, and I've seen good managers in this space, do have this kind of a resource. They have that all planned out on a piece of paper and it looks like a tree showing you what the hierarchy is. And if you ask them, they can give that to you and they can show you, okay, well, this is what your community looks like on paper and this is who is responsible for what. So certainly, as you say, Chris, get out there and ask them as a first step. I think that graphical representation of, and I like the word that you don't use a hierarchy because it implies obviously there is a, an element of elitism, I guess, in the decision making. Mm. Unfortunately, the way the hierarchy of governance does work and there are some documents that have precedence, but I think putting it into a, a graphical display shows you, for example, around a decision making tree how a decision down the bottom needs to be passed back up, endorsed through representations made. And then you can also see conversely how things filter down the hill because oftentimes, as you said, you inherit the decisions that are made further up and you need to live with them. If you don't agree with them, then you've got a rather complicated way of going back up through each of it, whether it be the precincts, the neighbourhoods, the communities, the members, in order to actually have your voice heard. And understanding the framework with which you're in will make you far more comfortable understanding then how to live within that moving forward. Great points. Okay, let's talk about books, Chris. What books have had the greatest impact on you and why? I'm glad you mentioned books. I'm an <laughs> avid reader and at my desk, I have the two books. One, Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Fabulous book. Great. The reason it is a great book is it's a fable. So it's written almost in a fiction type format, nice. which means that 
anyone, even if you don't like business, enjoys reading it. And there's some really simple, basic things about galvanizing a team and becoming one team. So anyone working in a multi-member organization, strongly recommend that one. One of my favorites. Good ones. And simple to read. Nice big font. You don't want them to be too small. All the Harvard Review business stuff, great to read, but a lot of people get confused. <laughs> the other one is the Minute Manager. Again, you can see I'm very simple. I've got a very short attention span. Uh, so the Minute Manager books, Raving Fans is one of my favorites, as well as the Minute Manager Meets the Monkey. Great things about delegation, great things about putting your customer first. There is so much reading out there. It is incredible. Yes. And I think if you've got an appetite for it, you will just find it everywhere you look. And I find if you ask people that you meet, what's your favorite book? And you just keep going through that because people are usually passionate about what they read and you can learn a lot from that. And you only have to take one or two really good tidbits out of that. On the back of all of that, there is nothing wrong with a bit of Harry Potter. Just Well, if anyone can see, we're recording this by video and behind me, I have a bookcase filled with Harry Potter. So I'm definitely on the Harry Potter bandwagon. <laughs> I'm the first to admit that two Saturdays ago, I went and bought The Cursed Child. So I was out there at 9am. Uh, <laughs> good on you. Yeah, I, I'm a big reader too. But of course, now I'm in the world of podcasts. So a lot of my time is taken up listening to podcasts now where I would otherwise have been reading. So I have to remind myself to read these days. Do enjoy it. Right, that's what the car's for. The car's for the podcast. It's you true. Perfect. And sitting yep. at home the at gym. the coffee shop. Yep. That's right. Definitely. Okay. Well, thank you, Chris. Is there anything else that you want to add? How do our listeners find out more about you? Look, I can be fine via our website at bright-duggan.com.au. The main takeaway I'd like to put away from today is that there are plenty of experienced people out there. It's a really evolving landscape in terms of professionalism. I'd like to think that we're looked at as a sector as valued, engaged stakeholders who can work with buildings and owners in partnership. And that doesn't mean that we'll always get it right, but I think we're certainly working as a sector to make sure that we lift that level of standard of professionalism. And these ever-evolving complex schemes are great because they make everyone lift their standards, lift their work, lift their professionalism, and really put Australia and Sydney in particular on the map in terms of world-class developments. Yes. And you in particular, Chris, are doing a lot of work in that space, I believe, lifting the professionalism and the standards. And I think we're very lucky to have you and keep it up, keep up the good work. And we'll have Strata managers out there as highly qualified professionals before we know it. Fabulous. I mean, it's a great environment to think of where we can all be on level pegging in the future. And it's also about getting the message out there. So thank you to you and your audience for listening and for being engaged. Thank you for spending time with us. Fabulous. Thanks, Amanda. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? 